Hey folks, I'm Richard Krauss, speaking to you from the House of Krauss with just like a little bit of a cold. You can probably hear it in my voice. Part of the reason I have a cold is because I've been outside of the House of Krauss all week talking about the Academy Awards. Ever since the nominations were announced, I've spent a great deal of time talking about why Carol wasn't nominated for Best Picture, while Sylvester Stallone was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Creed. I've been talking about hashtag Oscars so white a great deal. I have been talking about Straight Outta Compton and why the only real serious nomination that it received was for best screenplay when that screenplay was written by two white men. Uh, lots of stuff. I've been talking and talking and talking about the Academy Awards and probably will continue to do so until the end of February when they're finally announced. Today on the House of Krauss, I want to revisit a couple of interviews that I did a while ago, but I realize now that I'd never podcastualized them. Yeah, that's not a real word. But for the purposes of this, I'm going to make it a real word. I forgot to bring the interviews uh, with Liev Shriver and John Slattery. Uh, both of them are the stars of Spotlight, and Spotlight is nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Motion Picture, Best Performance by an Actor for Mark Ruffalo, Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role for Rachel McAdams, Directing, Writing, Achievement and Editing, all that stuff. So it's got uh, a lot of awards already under its belt. Uh, but I did these interviews uh, with uh, John and Liev just before the movie opened. So no one had really seen it except for a couple of film festival uh, runs. And uh, it was really interesting to talk to them. So let's start with John Slattery. He plays Ben Bradley Jr. in the film. Ben Bradley Jr. was a reporter and editor at the Boston Globe for 25 years. Uh, and he supervised the Pulitzer Prize winning investigation into the sexual abuse by priests in the Boston Archdiocese that makes up the backbone of the story of Spotlight. Now, you probably remember him best as Roger from Mad Men, uh, but I think once you see this film, it'll give you just a, a slightly different look at this guy's abilities and uh, that he can actually do something other than sit around and look really cool in a suit, smoking a cigarette and drinking a scotch in an advertising agency. Here's John Slattery on Spotlight. Do you trust newspapers, Twitter? How do you get your news, I guess is what I I get my news on the internet. Like, I mean, I read the paper, I read the New York Times comes to my house and I... I read that, and I and then I go online and I get my news from Google News or or Flipboard or whatever you know. Right. It was a, you know News Digests, um, and yeah, you scan headlines like you didn't used to. I yeah. think you know you would drop down into a story that was a long term, longer term piece of investigative journalism, and and. Um, and that, yeah, they don't, the resources aren't there and they don't have that uh, capability as much anymore. But I also think it's a product of where we are, you know. I mean, everything is happening so fast all the time and there's... And um, I don't know whether that's just a byproduct of having to keep up with all the information. Every time you turn around, there's a movie playing on the gas pump, you know, or, or you know, yeah. literally yeah. every in the elevator, there's, yeah. you know, there's video and, and news, you know scrolling across the, the, the screen in an elevator. Yeah. Um, no moment is left untouched. Uh, 
so I don't I mean I enjoy reading the newspaper and I and I and I I read periodicals but yeah I would say like most people I don't know about most people but yeah. I get my news on the internet yeah yeah me too and I, I just wonder about the trust level you know there was a time when Walter Cronkite was the most trusted man in the yeah America where you read something in the New York Times and you're like well damn it was in the New York Times it's right. going to be true and I wonder about that well I mean I think I, before that I I, I I did something with some um, political consultants uh, where they and, and I watch them read the newspaper and they read the paper differently than most people because they see every story as planted or leaked and they are yeah I mean all the stuff that we read you know I, I feel like yeah there's a certain cynicism with everything I read in the paper and I feel like that's spun one way or another and that's out there because someone wants it out there right. um, so I, I, one of the good things about getting your news on the internet is that you can cross-reference yeah. you know both sides of the aisle or, or, or just dif different public you know a drop-down menu will give you five different newspapers take on the same event so um, I don't know I think it's good and bad it's interesting that I, I work in, in uh, or have worked in newsrooms for years and uh, when stories break on a Friday that's what raises my uh, hackles a little bit. That's what makes my ears perk up a little bit because it misses uh, the big weekend spin. If you right. do something on a Monday, you get a whole week coverage out of right. something. But if you want to drop a story that you don't really want, if it's bad news and stuff, right. if you can hang on to it till Friday at around right. 11 a.m., right. that story's done. Right. And that's the way things are, are worked and twisted now. I, guess. I think it's strange. It's 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 it. There's a strange contradiction of stories that come and go because the news cycles are always so full and quick. Yeah. And also, it, nothing ever goes away. Yeah. So if you really want to find out about something, you know, it's there. Yeah. And it never goes anywhere. Spotlight is uh, an interesting movie because we talked about the speed of how things come at us. Now. Yeah. It takes its time. Yeah. What I liked about this movie is, like the journalists that we're seeing doing the work here, it's methodical. It takes us through a very complicated story, yeah. bit by bit, giving us the information that we need to understand what's going on before moving on to the next step. And I found it riveting. I, oh, I, good. Yeah, I found it really fascinating. Um, when you first saw the script, because I imagine it had to be fairly substantial, yeah. uh, what, was, what was your take? I... Uh I you couldn't put it down. I mean, it was it's that kind of story. I mean, you you uh, and you know where it's going, and you know how it ends. Yeah, that's the interesting part of the way it's told is uh, is despite knowing the end, you can't turn away. You can't put put it down. Yeah. Um, I think it's just good filmmaking, uh, and I was uh, I was refreshingly. Uh, uh, you know, I was refreshed by by its ensemble nature too. I mean, it wasn't really a story of one person's triumph over uh, over over the, the 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 adversity in telling the story. It was about the story about how all these people made sure that they told the story accurately and thoroughly. And and I think that's how the that's how the two writers, Tom and Josh, vetted the story to make sure that this is the way that this would have happened. And there was some rewriting going on and there were some adjustments when people would call attention to one sort of discrepancy or another and we all sat around and tried to figure out how to make this story, which, is, which, which could be 
you know, entirely expository, mm -hmm. active. Yeah. Um, um, it was obvious that it was an emotional story, and it was it was it was going to, if we told it right, it would land that way. Um, but I think that was, it was a it was it was a tonal. Um, balance that needed to be achieved because you know you don't want to be beaten over the head with it and you have to as you said be sure that the audience knows where where we are and and who knew what when well see that's the thriller aspect that I think works so well is that I was kind of when I was watching it I thought you were the person that had ignored the story right and and it seems to be leading us around various uh, different ways and yeah. I, I like that there were reveals that could happen because as you say we know how the story ends yeah you got to keep us interested somehow yeah it does the and and the ensemble nature of the cast I think is also uh, key to that because each of them are such distinctive personalities that you you have to get to know them a little bit mm. first before you can understand exactly yeah what's what and 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 you know, and everybody had real pressures to to move along, to let the story slide, to uh, and 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 question themselves as to whether they could have told it sooner, and right. and so I, yeah, there's a human element to every side of the story. See, I think that when you take a big story like the the story that they uncovered that went from one priest to ninety and you know all that stuff. Mm. It's so unimaginable, it's so huge that I think from sitting on the outside of it, you can't really begin to even understand it, it boggles the mind. Mm. But like this movie does, it makes it personal. Mm -hmm. And it and it and that opens the doorway for the viewer to walk through and understand the massive story that is on the other side, yeah. because we see the we, we see the victims. Everyone has a grandmother. Everyone has yeah. a the, you know yeah. yeah. It's the the specificity is what makes it the the universal story. And then you walk away with these this exponential you know names of cities and yeah. towns and countries, yeah. and yeah. it's all yeah. over the world. Yeah. And you go, holy shit, you know. But but we knew that. Right. It's it's it. Uh, yeah, it's very skillfully uh, kind of recircles then, then recircles and makes sure that every bit of information is reinforced. Um, yeah. I just spoke with Brian, your castmate Brian, and he said that he is a Catholic, mm -hmm. and uh, that you know he thinks though that this is an important story, one that needs to be told, one that it, it brings. He said, I, "I wouldn't want as a Catholic, I wouldn't want this hit." No. I would not want this story no. you know, hushed. And uh, and did you, when you read this, did you fear any I don't know blowback? Is there I don't know if that's. The I right grew up in Boston Irish Catholic. You know I uh, I I re I mean I remember. I don't remember specific. I wasn't uh, privy to or or. You know, didn't know this was going on at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, this is when I read this at the you know. I mean, the impact of the church in Boston um, can't be minimized. I mean, it's, it's 1,500 priests or something in, in Boston. It's an incredible number, yeah. whatever it is in the movie. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and it's, but, but, but I think that's really well told, too, is that when, when a priest came to your house, when, you, when, when, when they shone their light on you, I was an altar boy. I mean, it was like, that's what you did. And, uh, and, that's what's so painful about the story is that these people that were so vulnerable and so 
uh, trusting were were treated in this in this way. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, from the other side too, it's it's important to um, if if the church if people are going to restore their trust or faith in the church, then then this has to be told. You know, and like like I think that's the important part that Brian was talking about. You know. You have to tell this story. It has to be told. I watched it at a press screening a couple of weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. And one of the things that I, I watched it in a room full of press that are all writers, mostly, yeah. most of us. And uh, when, when Mark is uh, writing the story and his deadline, 21 days and four hours or something, we're all like, 21 days? He, those deadlines don't exist anymore. Right. Like, you just don't get those anymore. Yeah, right. Uh, that got a big, that got a big uh, reaction from the writers in the room. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's too bad. I mean, it's uh, it makes you wonder what what conspiracies are going to go uncovered. Well, it's interesting. You know, I just met. I just came from hosting a, a little mini press conference for Black Mass, and we had the two guys from the Boston Globe that uncovered the Whitey Bulger story. Yeah, the two actual guys, Dick Blair and Jerry O'Neill, and uh, old like old and tough as nails newspaper guys right Right. amazing to meet them amazing to meet them and they uncovered the story of the most violent man in Boston while he was still on the street and and labeled him an FBI informant on the front page of the Boston Globe putting their lives and their families' lives and everybody else at risk but it's the story that needed to be told right it was cool to meet them yeah it was very cool wow I look forward to seeing that too it's good it's yeah. good. Were you, were you born? Born in Boston? Or? Yeah, born yeah. in Boston, oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My mom, my mom too. Yeah, yeah. I've oh, yeah. spent a lot of time there. I, yeah, I love Boston. And me too. My family still lives there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah? yeah. I look forward to seeing this in Boston with my family, actually. Yeah. 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 And what do you hope people take away from this? I mean, it, it's it, it, there's a lot of stuff. I walked away not thinking so much about the pedophile priests, I have to tell you, yeah. because I felt like I knew that story. I walked away wondering about journalism. That's how we began our, our yeah. conversation. That's what I walked away from. What do you hope people take away? Um, I, I really think that, you know, in telling this story, is, you know, it's the only way to move forward. Yeah. I think that's, you know, it's a, the world and time is only going in one direction. And, and, to move forward and, and, and try to repair the damage that's done on both sides, from both sides, you know, not from both sides, but, for, but it, 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 the story needs to be told. The truth needs to be told as painful as it is. And um, I don't know. I don't know what I expect from the Catholic Church as far as you know, a response, I mean, the response to the film. I mean, I don't expect not, anything. Yeah, not the first time it's been told, so... No. Know, yeah. So, I don't know. Um, I think it's really the, 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 the... It's the human part of the story. It's the, you know, the specific human lives, I think, that you get to see how devastating this this actually was yeah there were big numbers and it was surprising and it was covered up but it was really comes down to you know people's lives well the stats don't mean anything I mean that's the thing like the stats are just numbers they're they're analytical they're they to me you know it's it's like that thing when you hear of a government cover-up 
and it's like ninety million dollars was lost, and I'm like, well, well ninety million bucks went missing. Next. I can't. I don't know how much that is. No, I don't know if this building cost ninety million bucks or if it. You know, like I have no idea what that means. Yeah. But when I hear you know a local politician uh, overspent thirty thousand dollars, I'm like that. That's a number I can wrap my head around. You know, yeah. like you begin to understand it a bit more. Yeah, if it's if you understand the the the, the devastation wrought in one life, yeah. and then they go and then and this happened two hundred thousand times. Yeah, yeah. That that starts to ring a few bells. Absolutely. You know, I think then that, and that's what it does. I think it really, as far as you know, the thriller aspect of running around and uncovering the story and getting you know finding out that the files are empty and that. And that this went on and that went on, and then, and then you get the simple testimony of of one victim, or you get Mitch Garabedian, you know, telling some very specific story about, or you you know, seeing seeing these little kids. Yeah, you go, man. I mean, how how is that possible? How is it possible? My favorite thing on television in the last 10 years, you playing the organ, Peggy <laughs> Olsen roller skated around the room. The this most beautiful great. cinematic moment oh, on television. I, I love that scene. Man, I couldn't get enough of it. Oh, it's so great. It's yeah. so, I'm glad to hear that. Was it something? Was it something that just like I mean, it didn't just happen, obviously. No, but, I mean, he but was, did you when you read it? You're like, oh, what the hell is this? Or were no, you, I thought it was, and I I didn't know. Uh, what it was going to look like. In fact, I hadn't seen it, and I had to do a Q&A for some, some, for an audience with, with everybody, and they said, what scene do you want to put up? And I said, Let, let's put up the scene with Peggy and, and I, and, and when someone asked, why did you pick that scene? I said, just because I wanted to see it, because I hadn't seen it. It's just Phil Abraham uh, directed it, who's also a cinematographer, who just shot it so beautifully. It's beautiful. And it's funny as hell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It Most was surreal, cool. Yeah. Like, it, I had to learn how to play the organ a little bit. Did you? Yeah. 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 Now, it's an it, awesome scene. Like, honestly, it has stayed with me. It became gyps, and it, it all it went wild yeah, on yeah, the yeah, internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I deserve it. So it was a beautiful scene. Oh, cool. Thanks. Thank you so much. All right. My pleasure. When John Slattery stopped by the House of Krause, he wasn't dressed like a madman character. He wasn't wearing a tailored suit, wasn't smoking a cigarette, wasn't drinking a scotch, none of that stuff. But still, it was hard for me not to look over in his direction and see Roger Sterling, the character that he made famous on that show. I think that probably it's going to take a little bit of doing on his behalf to have people look at him and see something else other than that character. But you know, for an actor who's kicked around as long as he has, to have one character, one piece of pop culture, a corner of pop culture that is your own, that will be a part of you until the day that you shuffle off this mortal coil, I think is probably a pretty cool thing. Liev Shriver plays Martin Barron, Marty Barron in uh, Spotlight. Now, when I did this interview with him, he had spent part of the day with Marty Barron doing some interviews and we talk a little bit about you know coming face to face with the guy you play in the movie but he is a, 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 a crucial figure in this story because he is the guy who shifted the 
paper's coverage of international events to locally centered investigative journalism at the Boston Globe, and it was under him that the Globe's coverage of the Boston Catholic sexual abuse scandal earned a Pulitzer Prize. This is Liam Schreiber. Oh, and we ate Timbits while we did the interview. How's the day going? It's going, it's going pretty well, and it's very, um, it's really nice being able to do it all with Marty Baron by my side. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah that part's been really cool. Is it, when you're actually doing it though, real life guy, you know you're probably going to meet him, I don't know if he was on set or not, but is there a, an extra pressure or a responsibility that you might be feeling at that point? I think initially, having read about Marty's accomplishments and his <laughs> his career, uh, I think there was some trepidation on my part. He can be he can be an intimidating person to meet, but he was just so gracious and generous. Invited me down to Washington, and I spent two hours with him in his office, um, just trying to get a beat on him and. Yeah. Uh, I could see that it was it was uh, it was uncomfortable for him at times, but he he, he really worked through it, and I'm I'm, I'm very um, I'm very grateful to him for you know opening himself up to me like that. Yeah, because yeah. I could see that it was something that he was not used to, not accustomed to doing. Well, he's the guy used to asking the questions and exactly. and, and peering into places, not being peered at. I guess exactly. Right? It's got me thinking about the way that we consume news. Absolutely. Because even though it is the recent past, 2001, 2002, somewhere in around there, it's not that long ago, uh, it, everything's changed yeah. since then. We get our news yeah. this way now. Um, everyone has to be first. And so you don't get things like the Spotlight team, I don't think, anyway, as much out there in the world. Question is, how do you consume news? And has this made you think any differently about the way that you get the news that you that you take in every day? I've fallen victim to relying on uh, computer, uh, iPads, phones yeah. for news. I try to make myself two or three times a week sit down with the newspaper and go through as much of it as I possibly can. It's just important. Um, but one of the things that I think that is so powerful about this story that uh, Tom McCarthy and Josh Singer have written is that it's a reminder to us of how absolutely essential good local investigative journalism is. It's, um, it's so important that um, we hold large institutions and individuals accountable uh, and, and that these journalists are supported and funded to uh, to operate and and uh, commit to these kind of long lead stories that are going to bear fruit in the way that this story did for the Spotlight team at the Boston Globe. Yeah, the thing I enjoyed so much about this movie is the methodical nature of the movie, how it lays it out. Yeah. There's nothing really flashy about the film, which yeah. would take away from the, the the magnitude of it, I think, yeah. but it takes you through, and the story gets bigger and bigger. The magnifying glass gets bigger I and bigger. That was and so smart the way he did that. Yeah, and he kept it all very restrained. Mm -hmm. It's very uh, mundane and it's very uh, uninteresting at times, <laughs> but then it starts to grow. And as the facts and as 
as the as the work, the legwork, the very diligent work of going through old clippings, reading microfiche, knocking on doors, yeah, getting, getting outside, door slammed in your face. That's, that's right. Like, yeah. As that collective data begins to reveal something bigger, it's fascinating, yeah. and it's like watching. Um, it's like watch in many ways for me. It's like it's like watching a fetus grow. In the beginning, yeah. it's unrecognizable, <laughs> and suddenly there's hands and eyes and a nose and a mouth, and it's just it's a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, a story like this, um, to be honest, you talked about the importance of, of local coverage. There's another film at the, the festival, Black Mass, yeah. same idea. They uncovered the Boston Globe, uncovered uh, the Whitey Bulger story, how he was an FBI uh, informant. Um, what would, do you think the reaction is of people in Boston to this story and to this film? I'm not sure. I hope that... Um, I hope that they appreciate uh, what it is and what it's about, mm -hmm. and I hope that they appreciate their newspaper, yeah, um, yeah. because it really is a celebration uh, of their journalists and, and, and the story that they collectively um, uh, uh, revealed for us. Uh, and I, I think the people of Boston should be very proud um, for uh, having having been at the center mm -hmm. of of this uh, of revealing this scandal and 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 stopping it and slowing it down at least certainly it's not over if if it were we wouldn't be talking about it but uh, it continues um, I you know I have a I have a real personal affinity for Boston for a lot of reasons and uh, um, I, I I hope and I think that they're going to like this film very much. Yeah, my mother is Bostonian. Yeah, she was from Boston. I spent a lot of time there as a kid, and and I was surprised at some of the stats that get thrown around. There were fifteen hundred priests in the city. I mean, it's, it, it, it gives you an idea of the scope of it. How right? big it is. Yeah. Well, and and so that leads to two things. Do you think that given how big the story is, that it took an outsider? like Marty, to come in and say, well, no, I mean, of course this is a story we're going to follow, because the, the entrenched Boston people may have, as the movie kind of indicates later on, uh, said, you know what, let's not, let's not go here, it's too much trouble, it's, it's going to open too many doors we don't want to mm -hmm. open. Mm -hmm. I don't know, yeah, I think so. I mean, there certainly is a line in the film, uh, or the character uh, uh, played by Stanley Tucci, Mitchell Garabedian, says it took an outsider mm -hmm. to, to, to get this story going. Um, but I think, uh, ironically, the way this story began was the day before his first meeting, first staff meeting, uh, Marty read an article by, uh, a column, uh, rather, by Eileen McNamara about the Gagan case. Sure. And um, <clears throat> he was just, I think, I don't want to put words in Marty's mouth, but this part of my interview for him was he was trying to figure out how to serve the, his community. And it seemed like this story uh, um, um, uh, uh, about a priest who had apparently uh, abused children uh, uh, was essential to his community and the fact that the truth may never be known because the documents are sealed by the church was just unacceptable to him. Um, ironically, while he was an outsider, what he was really trying to do was to find the best way to be inside that community that right. he had to represent and report for. 
Tim Hortons. What happened? You've be, you become <laughs> an honorary Canadian. <laughs> oh, crazy. Donuts. Wow. But they're Timbits. They're, like Tim? the, they're the middle of the Well, they, yeah, we call oh, donut holes. Do you want one? Sure, I'll have yeah. a Timbit. What the hell? Um, oh, that's bad. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one less martini. Like, yeah. sugar-wise, that's one less martini yeah. you can have later. Uh, one of the things that's so interesting about this story, now, is, as, I, as I thought about it a little bit more, is that the idea of how huge it is and how far-reaching and how many prongs there are to the story, it's so enormous that I think it's, it, it's, it's almost hard to wrap your head around. But the movie brings you in because you get to know the reporters, you get to know the victims, and it, it and it, it shrinks it down to a very human level that I think is far more understandable. And I think that's probably the beauty of this. And as you say, the mundane, mundane's not a good word to use, but the, the methodical nature mm -hmm. of the way the story is presented lets you get inside the lives of the characters yeah. and shine a light on the story. Minutia. That's yeah. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the word I meant to use. I knew it had an M in it. Um, <laughs> you know, all of that is a luxury that we are allowed to portray because of the diligence and the work that Tom McCarthy and Josh Singer did in putting that script together, right. because they had to do such a colossal amount of research and investigative reporting yeah, and legal. Um, to come up with a script and then find a way to shape that exposition so that it had some kind of narrative flow to it and yeah. movement. Because um, it's hard, otherwise it's people sitting behind desks talking on phones. Right? So all we really had to do was just inject a little bit of humanity into the dialogue, dialogue that was already frankly written to um, illuminate that, you know, to, to, to show that. Uh, so I, it, 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 it's, um, they're really to be commended, uh, and I don't know, and it's kind of wonderful how the art imitates life here. That the 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 work I think that Tom and Josh did in many ways parallels right. uh, the work of the spotlight. Do you think that narrative features that are dealing with real life events, as this one does, have to hew really closely to the events and to the truth, or how much dramatic license are you allowed to take before it becomes a fictional story? Movies are movies. Uh, this is not a documentary. I, I think, and I've heard from Marty, which to me, who to me is the most credible resource we've got, that the, we got the thrust of the story right. right. And that's what's important. How you choose to articulate it, uh, the level of emotion that you choose to use, the characterization, the style, all of that is up to the artist, you know? And that's, that's why uh, it's an art form. Yeah. So um, I don't believe you have to stick right to the story if you get the thrust or the ideogram of the story right. And then what stays with the audience, if, you, if that's as important and essential, if, you, if your intent is, to, is, 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 is realized, it doesn't, I don't think it matters too much how you realize it. Well, that's it. That's a wrap for my spotlight on the movie Spotlight here at the House of Kraus. I realized that I mentioned Tim Bits and just assumed that everybody would know what they are. Certainly anybody inside the Canadian borders will know, but if you happen to be listening, dropping by the House of Kraus uh, from outside our borders, Tim Bits are like the the whole of the donut that's been saved and then deep fried. They are deliciousness, deep fried deliciousness. 
Uh, Liev liked the chocolate ones, I preferred the glazed ones. Now that you're all up to speed on Spotlight and Liev Schreiber's uh, Timbit preference, that's it. Get out of here. The House of Krauss is closed for another week. Thank you for coming by. Uh, thanks to John, thanks to Liev, but most of all, really, thanks to you. Without you guys, there'd be no point in doing this every week. Uh, make sure you come by every Monday. I put up a new show every single Monday, and you never know who's going to come by for a visit. <laughs>